0: God is good, amen? Amen to that. Well, if you'll turn to, uh, to Revelation chapter 18, we're talking about the 11th hour, we call it, the last of the last. We're, we're in the, the final chapters of, of the book of Revelation, and, and we've been talking about really how there's this cosmic battle that's been going on from the beginning of time between good and evil, between God and, and Satan, and we're finally coming to the end of this here. And... The way that John, the writer of the book of Revelation, is is seeing some of this end is in this vision. And so as we walk through these three chapters of of Revelation, we see that first John received the vision of the harlot and the beast. And if you remember, the harlot uh, was a satanic counterfeit order that was based in Babylon, which is where we would consider um, uh, Iran of today. And, And it would include all of the surrounding Arabic nations around it. We also learned that the beast is a revival of past empires that have persecuted God's people, both the Jews and the Christians, based uh, out of the area of Rome, which has the history of of, uh, persecution of believers. And so then last week we talked about the fall of the harlot, the fall of Babylon, and how in in an amazing turn of events, the beast actually turned on the harlot. And so uh, we see how... Uh, how God even used other enemies of God to defeat the, the, uh, the, 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 the empire of Babylon. And so we saw that last week. This week, what we're going to look at is the responses to the fall of Babylon. And we're actually going to look today at the responses that the world has versus the response that's going on in heaven. So this, I mean, you could not find a, a, a more stark contrast between what we're going to find on, happening on earth because of the fall of Babylon and what we're going to find going on in heaven uh, at, at the fall of Babylon. So with that in mind, I want us to take a look and, uh, and see, uh, see what, what happens there. So we, we look, start in Revelation chapter 18, verse 9. And, and it begins with the political leaders. And later on, I'll we'll get into some of the economic leaders. But it starts with the political leaders here in Revelation 18, starting verse 9. We read, The kings of the earth, who committed fornication and lived luxurious with her, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Before we go any further, just a reminder there that the reason that, that the imagery of this empire was that of a harlot is because it, everything was counterfeit. And when you compare like a harlot to a wife, they offer some of the same things, but, it's, but one is legitimate, one is not. Right? One is temporary, one is not. And, and so you have this nation that's, that's, that's kind of using transactions of pleasure and and money and so on uh, to to woo the nations in. And the kings of the earth committed fornication and lived luxurious with her. Um, And and that's their being unfaithful to the God who created them by following after the, the harlot. But look what it says about them. It says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxurious with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. There are three different kinds of responses that we see that the world has in response to the fall of Babylon. And the first one's right here, and the first one is weeping and lamenting. There's weeping and, lamenting. and these two words, weep and lament, are actually very similar. Their, their definitions are very, very comparable to each other. And, and they oftentimes are found together in scripture. Uh, the slight difference in connotation is that the weeping is, uh, is focusing on the physical expression. And the word lamenting is usually focusing on the emotional feeling uh, that causes that expression. But the bottom line is that, that they're going to be sad that it happens. Right? Did you read that? That's what I just read. They're going to be sad. They're going to see the fall of Babylon, and they're going to be sad that it happens. And they will look at Babylon, and they'll be sad that it's gone. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Remember what Babylon is. It's a confederation of nations bound together by their hatred for God and for anyone who would follow God. And they, they they hate God's chosen people, the Jews, and they and they hate the Christians who follow God's Son Jesus. And so they violently persecute and kill any who do not convert to their false religion. Of course, they have money. And they'll have they'll offer forms of perverted forms of sexual pleasure and other types of pleasure. How should the world react? I mean, you'd think that with an empire like that, the world would be ecstatic that they're gone, right? Wouldn't you be ecstatic? I mean, how would you feel if, if you had gone to the doctor and you found that you had cancer and, and you go back and, and they do some treatments and you do some radiation or whatever and you go back to them and the doctor gives you the report, hey, guess what? The cancer is gone. How would you feel? Some of you have been through that, right? Some of this room have been through that. And that feeling of, of, of elation and excitement, what should The world feel that way when this cancerous ideology is is finally gone and they've been killing people and murdering people and violently persecuting people. You'd think that the world would be be excited, but instead, what are they doing? They're weeping and they're lamenting. And it's interesting, too, when you look back at at verse 10, we read, Standing at a distance for fear of her torment. Standing at a distance for fear of torment. Of torment. I, don't, I What, what I, I find this kind of interesting because when you think about that for a moment, when when a city is destroyed in Old Testament times or even in New Testament times, for example, uh, typically what happens is when the, the soldiers who destroyed the city will take the, the, the cream of the crop. They, that's called looting, right? They loot and then they take off. And then what happens? And then anyone from any surrounding city comes in and takes what's ever left. And usually they come and... and uh, and, and people are also just kind of addicted to the drama of something like that. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is drive up or down 131 when there's been an accident. Right? What happens? Even if the lanes are fully open, it slows way down. Why? Because everyone, when they get there, they want to see what's going on. Right? They call it rubbernecking. The, the people are addicted to the... Uh, uh, you never heard that term? Rubbernecking. Yeah. Because you're... Anyway. Um... Am I the only one who calls it that? Okay, okay, there's a few others, all right. Good, and so I was thinking maybe it's not a Michigan thing. Maybe we picked it up somewhere. But, um, but yeah, it, it, we're addicted to that drama, and so typically people would want to go, and, but here it says that the, the desolation is going to be so bad that they're going to stand off at a distance for fear of the torment. In other words, they don't want what's going on there to, to affect them as well. Uh, to me, it actually sounds like radiation or something like that, where something has happened so bad that you can't even go there because you, it will affect you. And I'm not saying it is, I, but it's like the kind of thing that, that, of imagery that shows up in my mind when I read that, this, that there's this fear of, of the torment. Um, but I think, too, it's interesting. When you, so when you look at it, you'd have to say another response isn't just the weeping and lamenting, but it's the fear of torment. The fear of torment is also part of their of their response. But why would they fear the torment? I think part of it is they fear the torment because they know that they're just as deserving. I mean, think about that for a moment. All the, people, all the world watching it, of course, I mean, they could watch it via TV or whatever. I'm sure it would be in the news. And they, the whole world watching this event and they see the, the fall of the great city of Babylon and and, and they're, they're watching this, they're weeping, they're lamenting, they're sad. But there's a thought of, "What well, this could happen to them. And what are they guilty of? Violence, perversion, materialism. What are they guilty of? The same things. There's, there's got to be this burning thought in the back of their mind. If God is behind us, then we could be in trouble. And they stand off at a distance just kind of watching and weeping and lamenting. Is hopelessness. Goes on to say too. Look at the second half of verse ten. We read, saying, "Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city! For in one hour, your judgment has come." You know that brings us to the third, the third response that we see in the world, and that is of missing the sins. Of Babylon. In other words, when, you, when you're saying, alas, alas, and how great a city it was, you're lamenting that it's gone now. You're saying, wow, remember what that was. Alas. And they missed the sins of Babylon. You know what's interesting, too? It's that's the exact same response that Lot's wife gave back in Exodus 19, isn't it? God was sending his judgment onto Sodom and Gomorrah and he told them to leave and they left and then she turns back and she's thinking, oh, alas, Sodom is gone. And she participated. She ended up sharing in the results as she turned into a pillar of salt. That's the same response we find. And you know what? This is not just the attitude of the political leaders. This is also the, the attitude of the economic leaders. I find it interesting that in, Re- in Revelation that it divides up the leaders into those two categories because in reality, those who control the politics and those who control the money control the world, right? And we don't have to get into politics today this, or this morning, but we all would at least agree with that idea, right? That, and so it, goes, it moves now into the economic leaders. Let's look at verse 11 through 19. And I want you to to, to see if you can sense some of the Uh, of the things that they were lamenting, starting in verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious uh, wood, bronze, iron, and marble. And cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchant's of these things, who become rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple, and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate." When you look at how the, the economic leaders, the merchants, the great merchants of the world, how are they going to respond? It, it's really the same answer, isn't it? I mean, they expound on all the things in particular that they're going to miss, the, the materialism that we found of, of, of Satan's ideology that we talked about last week, and, and they expound all of that, but, but the economic leaders will have the same response as the political leaders. In fact, if you, if you look at them, was there weeping and lamenting in the verses that you just read? Yeah, yeah sure there was. They use words like weep, and mourn. And uh, a little bit later, they used uh, the word wail uh, to, to add to that as well. Was there a fear of torment in those verses? Yeah, there was. It was the exact same thing that we read. It says, The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance and fear her torment. Same response. How about the, the missing of the sins and just that, that, that uh, regret of the loss? Of Babylon, did did you you read that in there as well? You sure did. And and in fact, it said in verse 16, "And alas, alas, that great city, that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls." They loved Babylon, didn't they? The merchants, the uh, the politicians, they loved Babylon. They loved the materialism. They loved the perversion. Even the violence against God's people. And why would they love violence against God's people? Because God's people are the ones who made them feel guilty for loving the materialism and the perversions, right? And so so we become the target of all of that. And what happens in the end? They lament. Why? Because in one hour, she is made desolate. She's made desolate. Let me ask you this. Is this the proper response to the fall of Babylon? No. no, it's not, is it? I mean, does this response show any sign of repentance? Is this any sign of humility? Any sign uh, of, of, being, of being willing to reject the, reject the sins of their selfishness and accept God? Not at all. Instead, their response actually shows and betrays their selfish hearts. It does not. And that's exactly what we find. Look at verse 20. We read this. Because the angel that John's talking to has had enough. He's, he's listening to all of this response, all this weeping and wailing. And the angel that's talking to John says this. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. This is a change of scenery now, right? So everything that we see now, is this is what's going on, going on down on planet Earth. Now we get a glimpse of what's going on in heaven. And the angel who was showing John all of this weeping and wailing that's going on earth brings them right back to to where they're at in heaven. And and now he gives this command to to everyone in heaven and he he says, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles, uh, which is uh, referencing some of the New Testament saints and the prophets, Old Testament saints. Why? For God has avenged you on her. Remember... All the way back in about five chapters ago when we learned who was actually in the throne room, who was the great multitude of people that was in the throne room? It was the martyrs. It was the believers. Both testaments who have been, who have been martyred and killed and persecuted by, by these, these different empires. And they've come together. And what does he say to them? He says, rejoice. The command that he gives to them is to Rejoice. He's saying, that's the proper response. You should be rejoicing at this. Why? Because the fall of Babylon signifies, and it's the, the beginning of the fall of all of Satan's ideology. Remember what we talked about just a couple weeks ago? Satan's ideology of violence and perversion and materialism. That's all based on pride and selfishness. It always leads to this. And when they see the fall... Of Babylon, they're seeing the beginning of the fall of violence and the fall of perversion and the fall of materialism. And that should be something that we rejoice over. There's a difference in the way we approach this because of our hearts. In fact, you'll see all three of these things. You'll see violence, you'll see materialism, you'll see the idea of perversions in the very next verses. Let's read 21 through 24. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus, with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. See, we're seeing that idea of violence. This is the end of violence, or the beginning of the end of violence. You'll see materialism in the next few verses. Look at verse 22. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For the merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Going back again to the, to the perversion and the counterfeit religion. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints. The blood of, the, again, we see the violence of this, of this nation, of this empire, and of all who were slain on the earth. So heaven was commanded to rejoice instead of weeping and lamenting. Let's see. Do you think they did? No. Let's take a look. Let's look at heaven's response in chapter 19, verse 1. We read this. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Who's the multitude in heaven? All the, the believers, right? The believers are there, the martyrs. Saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. That's quite a bit different than what's going on in planet Earth, isn't it? Uh, in fact, just to, just to kind of show you, the, the word Alleluia is actually a transliteration of a Hebrew word. So even though uh, everyone's, this is written in Greek, they're, they're using a Hebrew word, Alleluia, and it comes from, uh, from two words, actually, in Hebrew. Allelu is the word for praise, and then Yah is short for God's name, Yahweh. Now, they usually don't say the whole word, Allelu, Yahweh, because you're, we're for fear of taking the Lord's name in vain. So we just say Hallelujah yeah and we leave it there right and we, and that 's what we sing, so hallelujah is praise Yahweh. Yahweh is the name in Hebrew for God. all of the other what we call names of God are actually titles for God. this is his name and, uh, and they 're praising Yahweh. We also see why they're praising him for uh, for salvation and glory and honor and power and by the way, in Greek when it throws the uh, the, the word and in there between a large number of things its for emphasizing each one of those things. It's like they're praising God for these great things. And, 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 uh, and so when you look at the response of in heaven, it's the exact opposite of what's going on on earth. Instead of weeping and lamenting, there's praise. I'm going to add one word to that description in just a moment. Um, but, there's, but for now, there's praise that's going on what I find very interesting too is they saw the same thing. They saw the fall of Babylon. But the reaction is quite different. Why is that? Let's look at verse two. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with their fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. So why should we rejoice? Because Babylon was a force of evil in the world. For us, it's Babylon will become a force of evil in this world. God was right in his judgments to judge her. God was right, he was doing what was right, and they praised. The praise goes on. Look at verse 3. Again, they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. What's interesting is both the merchants and the political leaders, the kings and the merchants, Mention that they saw the smoke, but what did they do? They stood at a distance and they wept and wailed. Here, they're looking at the very same thing. They're seeing the smoke of the city rise, and what are they saying? They're saying, Alleluia. Praise Yahweh because his judgments are right, and he's doing what is right. They see the same smoke. But instead of having a fear of the torment, what do they have? They have a fear of something else. Look at uh, verse, verse four. And the 24 elders. Remember who those were from early chapters in the book of Revelation? We have 12 that represent the church and the apostles and then you have 12 who represent the, um, the 12 tribes of Israel. So both, both testaments, Jews and Christians alike. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying amen, hallelujah." So here we have continued praise, and we find another word in here, and that's worshipped. I think that describes their response. And worship goes along with the idea of praise. So I'm going to put those together in praise and worship. Just like weeping is kind of focused on the uh, physical response and lamenting is focused on the emotional response, again, praise is focused on the physical expression, and worship is, uh, is focused, again, on the emotional feeling. Um, and so there's this, this praise that comes out in and, and worship. And those two words are very closely related. But do you, know what the, do you notice the contrast between, between the response of the world and the response of heaven? From weeping and lamenting to praise and worship. Look at verse five. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God. All you his servants and those who fear him, both great and small. Here, I find it interesting is that instead of having a fear of torment, there's a fear of God. So, when you think about that, that instead of a fear of torment, there's a fear of God. You know what's really interesting too is that actually these are kind of the same thing when you think about it. What's the fear of, the, the fear of torment? That's a fear. That God is going to judge you just like he judged the ones that you saw, right? That's what's going on within the world and there's this fear of the torment of God. Now, there's a fear of God that we have here is a little bit different, right? See, one is terrifying and the other one is actually quite comforting, right? Because there's the fear of God that we have is a sense of which we also understand who God is, how big he is, how powerful he is and, and we looked at, but there's a difference because we're actually on his side. We're his... We're his we're, we're his servants, we're his people. In fact, we'll see that he compares us to his bride, right? And so there's this relationship. Now when you're the enemies, all of a sudden that fear is a whole different thing. You're, there's a fear of the torment that's going to happen. Very different reactions when you compare these, these two together. Look at verse 6 through 8. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. This is where it gets really good too, right? When you, look, you start looking at this and you realize, well, what was the world's response? They were missing the sins. They were wallowing in the fact that they no longer could participate and get the joy out of their sins. What's happening now in heaven? What we find is that there is rejoicing in what? Rejoicing in our righteousness. The exact opposite of what was going on in the world. Now there's rejoicing in righteousness. You see, sin is fun. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, where'd that come from? Right. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, who would do it? Right? Any kind of sin. Whatever, whatever sin is. You do it because it's fun, right? But sin is fun for a moment. It brings joy for a moment. It's temporary. It is fleeting. Right? It brings this short-term thing, but then that short-term joy ends up producing a long-term misery. And God doesn't want that for us, but that's the nature of sin. And we see that very clear in this passage. I mean, the, the people that are in the world right now, and they're wallowing in all of the joy of all the materialism. And if someone doesn't like them, they can bulldoze them down. They can respond in violence. There's sexual perversions. There's all these things going on. And they're, they're wallowing in all of that, but guess what? That's all coming to an end. It's the nature of sin. And what we're looking for is something that actually is is permanent and long-lasting and and makes sense. Do you see now why when God chose to reveal this to John in a vision, he compares this to a harlot? Because we are the bride. And he's saying there's a difference between the husband-wife relationship and a relationship with a harlot. The relationship with the harlot is, is she offers the pleasure, but it's that short-term, temporary pleasure that ends. And when the transaction is done, it is gone, right? And God's saying, no, reject that. I'm offering you an intimate relationship that goes on permanently and forever. Forever. Do you get what's going on there? And so there's a message for those who are, who are following the, the harlot, and the message is that you can rejoice in your sin right now, but the day is coming when you will be lamenting the end of it all. There's also a message for those who are part of the bride that the church may have times of lamenting right now when we're suffering from persecution, but in the end, we'll be the ones rejoicing. We're going to be a part of that. John got a glimpse of what we're going to be doing in the future. That's pretty cool when you think about it, right? This imagery of a bride, it's beautiful. It's a love story, and true love is not temporary, and neither is the joy that it produces. In fact, look at verse 9. I love this. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And he, So he ends it with that. He reminded him, everything you just, you just saw, this is it. This is, this is from God. This isn't made up. This is the, re, the, the real deal. And he said, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when you think about that, it's a, a wedding day is an exciting day, isn't it? As a pastor, um, I've been around a lot of weddings, Right? I've officiated a lot of weddings, uh, some in English, some in Spanish, uh, uh, it's in, in different countries. I, I, I've gotten to interact with the wedding parties in the days before and in the days, in the, before, the days of, of the wedding itself. And one thing I can tell you is universal, and i, I found this in every, every uh, wedding that I've been involved in, is that the bride and the groom are excited about the wedding day. That's not rocket science, is it? How many of you already knew that? Okay. Yeah, of course. The, the bride and the groom, they're excited about it. In fact, I also do, um, we do pre-marriage counseling here. So we have uh, Pastor Tim and I do a, a series of, of interactions with, uh, with the couple before they get married. And we talk through different things. And, 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 but as we get closer and closer, they get more and more excited. Isn't that true, Pastor Tim? They, they get more and more excited. and They're looking forward to that day. And it gets to that point where you just can't wait for that day, Right? Anyone here excited a bit, you know, the few, the few months before your wedding day? Husband, there's a time to put your hands up. <laughs> Very good. I've got to help these guys a little bit, you know? No, but of course, right? And, and so oftentimes they're so excited I would even use the word sometimes a little giddy. So that safe to say a little giddy because they're excited about it. And you know what? That's okay because it's a big deal. Because it's a day where they're looking forward to that day where they can stand before all of their family and their friends and say, we love each other, and God is doing something special. We were two people, now God is forming us into one. That's a big deal. And you're making a vow that isn't like, I'm going to do this as long as you do that. We're saying a vow that's go till death parts us. That's a, that's a big deal. It's an exciting thing. And, and you know what's interesting is that that's how Christ feels about you right now. He's oh blessed are, you, are those going to be you I, wait just wait till you get here? I am preparing a wedding feast for you, and i 'm excited. think about that, and we 're singing God is so good, and, and I have the advantage of, of singing the songs already knowing what's what i 'm talking about today, and so i 'm going to yeah he's so good, of course God is so good, and he's excited because he's He's saying that I want a marriage type relationship you. Know, I want to have an intimate relationship where he's, he's your God and, and you're his people. And, and he's like, I've got this beautiful wedding ceremony set up and we're going to have this awesome feast. You know what Jesus said? I mean, he was, he, Jesus was excited right before he left uh, his disciples and ascended into heaven when he was telling me he's coming back. You know what he said he was doing? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm thinking, wow, that's awesome. Anyone excited to see what it is? Have you ever seen that, that show, uh, I don't know if it's on anymore, but Extreme home, Make, home Makeover, Home Edition? How many of you have watched that before? It's, it's an interesting show because you get all these people who are great at building homes. Not just houses, but homes. And, and so they come together, they study the family, they study each kid, and they figure, how can we tailor this home to that person, right? And so then they go away for like a week or two or something like that. It's amazing how fast they throw this all together. And um, um, so they, they, they create this beautiful home and then they have the big reveal, they go into their home and it's like, wow, and you've got this. Oh, you like this sport, we, you know, you like basketball, we have a basketball court in your bedroom or what I mean, they do all sorts of crazy stuff, right? And and so, you know, I would imagine my room would have like a rock climbing wall in it, and you know, it would be awesome. And so so they've got, you know, they do all of this, all of this stuff. It's amazing, and that's the best that man can offer in a couple of weeks. But think about the fact that Jesus has been preparing your place for two thousand years. Oh, that's going to be awesome, isn't it? It's going to be great. And and so why do I say it? Because because God is saying when you have an understanding of the beauty of the relationship. With between the, the bride and the groom, then you can you can reject and, and you see you see the relationship of the harlot for what it is. It's worthless. It's worthless. And then when the fall of that takes place, you rejoice. Instead of saying, Oh, how, oh no. As the world was doing. The world fell for the harlot when they should have been looking for the bride, or the bridegroom relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and they, that's, they, they missed it all. And so they, they, they're, they're looking for something that the harlot will never actually be able to offer them. And when they realize that, it'll be too late. They'll stand at a distance and say, oh, it's so desolate. And they'll stand at a distance for fear of the, of the torment. You know, you know, one important thing that we have to understand in that bridegroom relationship is there becomes this idea of exclusivity that's important, right? If I told Monica, if I I had the day that I asked her to marry her, if I had said, would you marry me along with two or three other girls down the road that I'd like to invite into this? (laughs) I would be in big trouble. I wouldn't be married to her today, right? There's this idea of exclusivity and with God it's got to be all or nothing. It's got to be our relationship with God has to be the number one thing. You can't worship anyone from, but God. And there's a, in, this, uh, in verse 10, we see that emphasized. Look at verse 10. And I fell, this is John talking, and I fell at his feet to worship him. Stop there for a moment. Who, who's he talking with? The angel at this point. All of a sudden, John is so floored by all of this, and he's so moved, and I can understand it. I get it. It's not right, but I get it. He's so moved that, that even being in the presence of this angel who gave him the ins- all of this insight, he fell at, at his, uh, on his feet, or at his feet, and started to worship the angel. Is that okay? It's not okay to worship an angel, is it? Um, in fact, let's continue to read the verse. It says, But. He said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brothers who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's he saying? He's saying, get up. Mm-mm, you cannot worship me. He said, I'm, a, I'm just a fellow servant. He said, well, he's an angel. He walks in the presence of God. Yep, so will you someday he just got he's just he's, he's been there first he was created first that's it right you'll be there someday and so the angel who walks in the presence of God it was so humbled by the presence of God that he he recognized ooh if I'm starting to get the worship then this is not right it is not right by the way too notice what he said he said and your brethren who is his brethren other believers It's like by the way you shouldn't worship other Christians either don't worship other people they're just fellow servants uh, we have to be very careful not to do that. Sometimes we do people worshiping. Have you ever noticed that? Even Christians, in a sense, we've got this priority of, of, of people. and There are certain people that, wow, they're up here, and other people are willing are just down here. And, and you look at that, and, and for some reason, it seems like actors are always up. Actors and singers are way up here, like, wow. And, and if, if an actor even says, thank God, then, then doesn't the Christian community come around like, oh, he just got saved. This is awesome, right? But I just read on Facebook. I had someone uh, yesterday. Someone said that Brad Pitt has accepted Christ as a savior. I'm like, really? Cool. Let me let me check it out. I look at the. I go to the actual quote, and he actually said something along the lines of. I I, used to, I was raised as a Christian and then I called myself agnostic and then I became an atheist and, and then now I'm not so sure and, and he says, so sometimes I cling to religion and sometimes I cling to my atheism all he did was highlight I cling to religion so, oh, see, he accepted Christ Whoa, that's not accepting Christ I hope he gets saved, don't get me wrong but what is the heart of that? the heart of that is that we start lifting up people like, wow it, you know what? I would be excited if he got saved, but I would be just excited if someone I've never met walked in the doors today and got saved. Wouldn't you? Amen. And so we, you know, there's this, this respect of persons and the, this angel is saying, no, 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 no. There's, no. there's no worshiping people. There's no worshiping angels. Just worshiping God. By the way, there are denominations that encourage you to worship angels and to worship saints. According to one who's in the throne room of God on a daily basis, we ought not do that. Amen? And so we understand that God wants this relationship, but he wants it to be, to be exclusive. That makes sense. Every good marriage is exclusive, right? And, and so we have to worship God and God alone because only God deserves the glory, the honor, the praise. So we worship him alone. Now when we think about all this and we look at these two different responses, there's a, there's a difference in heart. And so when it comes to the application for this today, we cannot apply it directly because we can't, I mean, we can't rejoice the fall of Babylon because guess what? It hasn't happened yet. Right? It hasn't happened yet. We can't rejoice in the finality and the judgment of, of sin because that hasn't happened yet. But we can have our hearts in the right place. Right now, so that we will respond appropriately on that day. Right. In fact, there's a great passage I think that sums up the application. A great, uh, a great couple of verses written by the same person who wrote the Book of Revelation, in First John two. And I won't spend a lot of time there. Just listen to what he said. First John 2, 15 through seventeen it says, "Do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him." For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. In one moment it will be desolate. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God, abides forever. Isn't that the message? Isn't that an application to what we're seeing here? See The world... They love all of the wrong things. They love all the things. And, and don't be like that. Application number one, and I'm just going to have two of them for us today. Number one, do not love the things of the world. Don't get caught up in the things that the world offers. What does the world offer? It offers the lust of the flesh. Talk about the perversions and the sexual perversions and, and, and violence. The lust of the eyes, the materialism, the pride of life, which is that whole satanic ideology of pride and selfishness. He said, don't love that. If you do, you'll end up lamenting, lamenting it because what does he say? The world is passing away. The world, it's, it's, it's passing away. Don't put all of your hopes in that. Don't, don't jump onto a sinking ship. Put your hope in something else. Well, what is that? Well, the contrast is right there. Love God instead. Love the Father instead. Don't, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. Why? Because the things that are in the world are not of the Father. In other words, keep that relationship with the Father going. Make that the relationship. That should be what you strive for. And I'll tell you what, you will never find permanent happiness and joy until you have a relationship with God. You'll never find it. Oh, you'll find some happiness and you'll find some really neat things. But all of those sins of the world are subject to a, 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 one common law and it's called the law of diminishing returns. We've heard of that? The idea, it might be fun for a little while, but you need repetition. Uh, you know, but, but with repetition, what happens? It loses its fun over time. Right? This, this weekend, I, I and some friends from here are, are actually gonna go to Cedar Point Right. You've ever been to Cedar Point? It's pretty cool. I went there when I was a kid, and the mine ride was awesome. And I rode it two, three, four times because it was so awesome. And I thought, no, that's just not fun anymore. I need the Blue Streak. And then you go from the Blue Streak to the Gemini. And you go from the Gemini. And now, you know, they've got all these new ones. The uh, What's that called? Uh, What's it called, Alan? The Steel Vengeance? Steel Vengeance? I'm looking forward to writing that because little Brooklyn, you know, little Brooklyn, she was, she was like, Pastor Dave, I get dibs. I'm going with you first. <laughs> okay, let's do it. It's going to be fun. But why do they have to keep making bigger, better, taller, faster things? Because over time, with repetition, it loses its flavor. You know, that's the way it is with sin. That's the way it is with sin. And, and that's the way it is, And that's why God compares all of this sinfulness with a harlot. It's temporary. But what he wants is to have that intimate relationship with you that lasts forever. Lasts forever. That's what he's asking for you. So love God. Love him. Instead, don't be deceived by the harlot. Jesus wants you to be his bride. So how, how do we respond to this? First, I, I'd like to ask of you, if, if there's anyone in here who would say, you know what, Pastor Dave? I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, certain that I am part of the bride of Christ. I am not... sure sure that if I were to die today, that I would spend eternity with God in heaven. I don't know. And you would like to accept Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Today is the day to do it. Don't walk out of here today. You never know what's going to happen outside of of this this time and place right now. You never know. I'm telling you right now, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the, the, the day to do it. And in just a moment, I'll give you a chance to respond. And all you have to do is come to me, or you can go to the back if you don't want to come forward. Uh, we'll have someone back there who will just walk you through with the Bible. They'll just take you through, through some verses in the Bible that will let you know how you can know for sure that you're saved. I would also say to those of you who would say, Pastor Dave, I know, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm there. I want to ask you, how, how would you respond? Are there things in your heart that draw you away from God? Are there things in the world that are kind of pulling you to where you're feeling like, wow, I kind of really want some of that and it's drawing you away from your relationship with God. Don't love those things. Learn to hate those things now because they're passing away and they're going to be, in one instant, they will be desolated. But God wants something better for you. He wants something permanent. He wants something eternal for you. You can abide with him forever. What I'm going to ask you to do, if, if, you're, if you're a believer today, and maybe there's something in your, in your heart that God is putting on your heart right now, saying, saying to you, my son, my child, if there's a sin in your life that's drawing you away from me, and I want to have better intimacy with you, but you've got to get rid of this sin, then I would ask that you would just come forward when, and at the invitation. You, no one will interrupt you, and just pray. Maybe someone will come alongside and just pray with you. And just pray for you, that's fine. But just confess those sins to the Lord so that we can have that full, open relationship with a God who just can't wait for us to get there, to show us around what he's done because he loves us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to ask, is there anyone here that would be bold enough to say, Pastor Dave, I'm in that first category. I'm not 100% sure that I've accepted Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Would you just raise your hand if you would like to receive Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior today? If there's anyone here, I invite you at any time. You can come and talk to me. You can call me at 2 o'clock in the morning and I wouldn't care if it's for that kind of a conversation. I'd love to show you how you can know for sure you have eternal life. I want to speak to those who didn't raise their hands on... Assuming that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But I want you to ask yourself and ask God in this moment, Lord, is there anything in my life, anything in the world that is pulling my attention off of you? And if he lays something on your heart, would you be bold enough and make that statement to the Lord enough that you come forward and just confess that sin? Get right with God so as you walk out, your relationship with God is unhindered. Because I'll tell you what, that same God who's looking forward to you, he loves you. And he says, if you confess your sins, I will be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from those sins.